Praise the name of Jesus. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. The book of Isaiah chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll read under verse 9. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from, with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go, tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your grace. We thank you because you are amazing. Lord, today we just humble our hearts before your presence. And we ask you, Lord, to speak to us. God, we also ask that you give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. Father, may you be glorified and may you use me these next few moments to convey your truth to the people that are seated before me today. Father, I ask you to be glorified in us. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The book of Isaiah is one of the biggest books of the prophets in the Old Testament. He, he prophesies and he is quoted more times in the New Testament than any of the other prophets. And he has a lot to say about the coming Messiah. He prophesied things that happened in his day. He prophesied things that would happen after his day. And he prophesied things that are still going to come to pass. It is important that we understand that because here's the thing. He prophesied during his days, and everything that he prophesied about his days came to pass exactly as he prophesied. Then he prophesied about things that would take place in the future concerning the Messiah, and every single thing that he prophesied came to pass exactly as he said it. Therefore, the prophecies that are left to be fulfilled, the predictions that he made regarding the future and the things that he said were going to happen, I will guarantee you that they are going to happen the same way all of these other two categories of prophecies have occurred. It's important for us to get that because when you listen to someone, and, and I want you to just think about this for a moment, when you listen to someone who tells you 
this is going to happen, right? Think about this when you were a kid. We'll bring, we'll bring it back to those years for some of us. Glory to God. When we were younger children and our parent told us, I am going to do this. I am going to do that or whatever or whatever it was they said they were going to do. You believe them. Amen. Until they didn't do what they said they were going to do. Right. Then you started to be like, I don't know. Dad said, mom said they were going to do this, but in the past they didn't. So it causes us to lack some trust. But if mom and dad always did what they said they were going to do, guess what? Mom and dad, their word is bond. Amen. And so it is amazing because in some of our parents, you know, in situations have occurred where they couldn't do stuff that they wanted to do, not because they don't love us or whatever the case may be. But the fact of the matter is when our parents tell us something, we know our parents said it. We know our daddy said it. We know our mother said it. We believe it's going to happen. Amen. When we look at this scripture, you have to understand it's the same picture. This prophet came in his days and he said, this is going to happen like this. And it happened. Later on, he said, this Messiah is going to come. These things are going to happen. And he communicates and everything happened. So it causes us to understand that what this prophet is writing, what is in this book, the Bible, is truth because of these prophecies that have been fulfilled. Amen. That gives us reason to listen to what God is communicating. And when we look at this particular portion of scripture, we find here that Isaiah is in the midst of a great turmoil in his heart and his soul. The Bible starts out in this portion of scripture and it says in the year that King Uzziah died. Saying in the year that King Uzziah died. This is the time that the nation is going to be at its weakest moment. This is the time that things are going to be in, 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 in a position that if you wanted to attack the nation, it would be now. Because the king has died. Now, when you look at King Uzziah's life, you got to understand why he died now or, or, or how he died. King Uzziah was one of the kings that he did great reformation under his reign. The kingdom was, was expanding. The kingdom was prospering. Everything looked good under King Uzziah. And then what happened was he started to see all of his prosperity. He started to look around and said, man, look at all the things that are going on. And then he got prideful. It is important for us to recognize God as the blesser, the source of all blessing, and that we are simply recipients of what we have. When we, when we forget that, we forget who is in charge. We forget to ask permission. We forget, you know, as, as we grow up in our homes, I'll use the family again as an example. We always know there are certain things, man, I just don't do it because I need to ask before I do it. Amen. There's certain rules that we don't break. There's certain things that we don't violate. You can do whatever you want to do when you leave your mother's house. You can talk however you want to talk. But when you come home, you better act right. If you don't, she will remind you that she gave birth to you. As Bill Cosby used to tell his children, I brought you into this world. I will take you out of this world. You will be reminded because those are the rules of the house. That's the way that it is. You can, you, you, you know, I mean, listen, when I, when I was in, when I was, when I was, when I was really, you know, in the world, young, you know, younger, before I met Jesus, I want to say this too, because Pastor Robert said that he lost more friends over women and money. He was talking about before Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Because I, I, I felt to get quiet up in here. People are like, who, who's this up here? saying welcome. Visitors are like, what you talking about? He's talking about before Jesus. Glory to God. So, so I want to clarify that. Praise the, he, he, he's, he's good now. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Listen, 
Before I met Jesus, I remember I was, you know, I hanging out. I'm going to tell you, like, I was gangbanging. I was, I was bad. I'll get in anybody's face, all that good stuff, right? I started smoking cigarettes at a certain age. And you know what I used to do? <laughs> we had a car porch, a carport, and there was a door into the kitchen. And, you know, my mom was always in the kitchen cooking around a certain time of the day, and I knew what time of day that was. You know what I used to do? Big, bad, gangbang or whatever. I used to stand right here, and I would smoke my cigarette and look around and see if my mom was there because I didn't want her to see what I was doing. Now listen, y'all, it's because there's certain things you just don't do, right? There, there's certain, and this king, see, because I recognize where I came from, glory to God, and I recognize what could happen to me, hello. This king, he forgets that the source of prosperity isn't because he's such a great leader, isn't because he's so wise, isn't because he has it all together, isn't because he's done so much. Some of us forget, we think that we are made, we're getting all of these promotions because we're such hard workers, that's part of the whole, you know, thing there. But who's the one who gives you the grace to be the hard worker? Well, I, you know, I got this promotion because I come up in here before anybody and I leave after everybody and I do everything. And everybody, they're all slackers and I'm working. And we forget that it is the grace of God. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from the north. Jesus, God Almighty, he's the one that you can come in early, leave late and still not get promoted. Hello, somebody. But what happens to us is we forget who the source is. And that's what this king did. And so, you see, you got to realize, in those days, there were, it wasn't like now. Anybody can be a worshiper. You know, you don't, you don't have to be a king or a, or a priest or part of a specific family. It's not like, you know, one family can be the worshipers and other families are called to do other stuff. It's not like that. Back then, it was. Back then, there were certain groups of people that were allowed on the altar. Today, there is, there is a similarity, and it is this. If you are not living for Jesus, don't try to get up here. Let me say it again. If you're not living for Jesus, don't try to get up here. Don't try to be a minister. Don't try to come preaching. Don't try to come sing. It's not good. In those days, they had issues. Well, well they, they're not issues. They had separation. They said, okay, there's this group of people. They're the ones that are allowed to get up and offer sacrifices. They're the ones that are allowed to get up and we'll use this setting just so you can kind of get a visual. There was a certain group of people and we'll just say for the sake of argument and time, Pastor Chad's family, they were the ones who were allowed to get up here and sing and, 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 and play instruments and do all of this stuff. And I was not part of Pastor Chad's family. I was the king and I was the one who was leading the nation. And I decided, you know what? I want to get up here and I want to play instruments and I want to sing. And so what happens is this is the story. The king walks into the temple and so you know Pastor Chad's family Pastor Chad I want you to stand over here for a moment right there right there in that spot so I'm the king right I walk into the house of the Lord and I'm like man God is prospering me God loves me he's blessing me and you know what I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna offer up sacrifices and so I see Pastor Chad I'm like excuse me sir I need I, I need you to get out of the way but he didn't get out of the way he's like hold up hold up king Hold on, hold on, hold on. you you can't and I'm like man watch out man no no I, I want to get up here and do this and so it says that there was a bunch of them, right? It wasn't just him by himself. A bunch of these valiant men, they were brave because they were stopping the king. They were saying, king, stop. Don't go up there. Don't offer up the incense. The king said, man, get out the way. I'm the king. So he takes this incense, and he's like, all right, it's on you, bro. He didn't say that. That's the way we would have said it. You know, back then, they were like, it is on thou is the brother. No, he can be seated. King gets up. Starts going like this. 
He's doing that, not waving the microphone, but he's waving this censer, right? He's going like this. It's incense. He's waving this before the Lord, right? God wants incense. He, he, he says he wants this incense. I'm not talking about the incense that burns in your house to smell good. That's not what I'm talking about. He wants this incense to burn, right? But he doesn't want the king to be the one who's burning it. And so the king decides, well, he's prospering me. He's blessing me. I can do whatever I want to do. And the Bible says all of a sudden his forehead begins to get white with leprosy. The priest, Pastor Chad is like, yo, look at your head, bro. Like, you need to get out. So for the rest of the reign of the king, you know what happened? This is, this is crazy. For the rest of his years, he had a house that was separated from everyone. He couldn't come into the temple. He couldn't get around anybody. You know why? Because for the rest of his life, he was unclean. He was unclean. It gives us a lesson, man. Don't get prideful. Don't start to think you're all that because you may end up living your whole life with a debility that you didn't even need to have. Listen, humble yourself before God. Acknowledge him as being the source of all life, the giver of everything that we have. The king goes through all of that. He's living. Well, what, all, what also happens is he can't get in contact with people because he's unclean. So you know what happened? His son, Jotham, gets in his place and he's reigning and ruling and everything. Still, the king is alive. But his son is the one who's giving the orders and giving the directives and telling the nation how they're going to run. And so it comes to the year after this 52 years, this king reigned for 52 years. I don't know how many of them he had leprosy, but it was for a while at the end there. And so during that end period, he finally dies. And when he dies, Isaiah, everybody in the nation is shaken. You've seen those movies, you know, where a king dies and everybody's like, oh my goodness, the king died, what's going to happen? And God is amazing because in the midst of this, while everything on the earth looks all shaky, while everything on the earth looks like it's messed up, you know what he does? He says, let me open your eyes. Let me help you to look up and really see that while the, the, the throne in the earth may be deserted at this moment, the throne in heaven is not. While whatever is going on in this earth may not seem fair, may not seem right, may not seem the way that you want it to be, it may not be how you desire it to be, it does not matter because I am still on the throne. I am still enthroned in glory. I am still reigning and ruling. The seraphim are still surrounding me, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I am still in charge. It's important for us to be encouraged by that truth because the reality is that when you look at what God is communicating, when you look at what God is showing us is, listen, no matter what it is that you may be facing, no matter how difficult a situation may seem, you can trust God Almighty. Amen? Because he's enthroned. And so let's look at our Bibles for a moment, looking at verse 1, and we'll start reading together again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. The title of this message is this. It is called Ruined for Good. Ruined for Good. When I was reading in another translation, and, and Isaiah gets the understanding, is like, I am ruined. 
In my version, it says, I am undone in verse 5. I don't know what your version says. It may say undone. It may say ruined. It may say destroyed. But the whole point was, he got a revelation of the king of kings. He got, he got a, a glimpse of the glory of God. And I want you to know something. Because when you look at what is going on here, and you see what is happening in this situation, he is getting a revelation. He's not getting a full glimpse. He doesn't give you any details of like the face of God or anything like that. He simply says, he saw the Lord. Lord. He doesn't get, no one can see the fullness of his majesty. No one. We can get a glimpse. We can get a picture. But it's about being ruined for good. Ruined for good. Experiencing something that changes your life. In the church, and you know, we have a lot of visitors here today because we have something special that's going to happen. And so I don't know where your position is as a visitor, but there's some people you may, you may be in church and you may go to church and you hear this, you know, the buzzword is the next level. Got to go to a next level, glory to God. All right? Come on, church. We, we got to go to. But what does that mean? What does it mean to go to the next level? What does it mean to go to another dimension? What does it really mean? When you look at this, because there's really little explanation that we get other than what we think about. When you think about next level, I, I know what I think about, you know, I, I, prior to looking at the scriptures and looking at what the Bible really means. But usually what I think about going to a next level is I think of some utopic experiences with God that are just so overwhelming and they're happening all of the time. And I've experienced these emotional overflows, these spiritual experiences, and that's what it means to go to a next level and listen that may be true some of the time but if you read your bible you're going to see that god takes you to that place he gives you that revelation and you're not going to experience isaiah didn't have a, a next experience like the next day or the next week god spoke to him revealed things to him gave him those experiences and those encounters for a purpose it wasn't for him to put him in his pocket it was so that way we could talk about it today it was so that way we could experience that today. It wasn't so he could, Isaiah wasn't over there saying, man, God, I need to be touched in a deep way. I need you to do it. He wasn't doing anything like that. He was simply seeking God Almighty. He was pursuing him. But we hear those words next level and all of that stuff. And it should be understood, and I want to say this clearly. It should be the desire for every Christian. If you call yourself a Christian and you don't desire to grow up in Christ, you don't desire to go to a next level, there is an issue. Issue. It should burn in our hearts. Going to the next level should not be a pursuit from one day. It should be a pursuit of our life. And, and what needs to happen is we need to realize that that is what it really means to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It, that's what it means to go to the next level. It means that I'm growing in an intimate relationship with him. It means that I'm growing in experience with him. I'm growing in my encounter with him. I'm growing in my devotion to him. That's what it means when you're looking at this. The greatest challenge, here's the greatest challenge to this whole next level stuff. The greatest challenge to the whole next level is this. Is that usually when we talk about the next level, it's a me word focus. It's all about me. It's all about my feelings. It's all about where I'm at. It's all about what I'm going through. It has nothing to do with God if you really get real about it. It's all about me. When you're the focus, here's the problem, is that you will never grow upward in Christ, you will never grow downward in self, and you will never grow outward in service. 
When it is a me word focus, you never grow upward in Christ. And when you are growing upward in Christ, you grow downward in self and outward in service. Say this with me. Until we are ruined for good, we are good for nothing in the king's service. Until you're ruined for good, you're good for nothing in the king's service. Until you have had that life-changing experience with Jesus, man, look, no good. Because you know what? It's going to all come back to being about you. At the end of the day, it may take a month, it may take a year, it may take 10 years. Hello, somebody. But at the end of it all, it's going to all come back to being about you. So three things that we'll talk about really quickly. The first one, repeat this after me. To be ruined for good, I need an upward encounter with the Lord. What Isaiah saw was the pre-incarnate Jesus enthroned, surrounded by glory, worshipped by seraphim. The declaration of the seraphim is the encounter that you and I desperately need with him. Not just to hear the words that God is holy. That's not what I'm talking about. But what they were communicating, when I sat back and I thought about this for a moment, I said, man, the seraphim, for them to declare God is holy, it's different than me saying God is holy. It's different because here's the thing. I am not holy. I am wretched. I, I Listen, I have been saved. I have been washed in the blood. I still battle sin just like everybody else. So for me to say God is holy and I'm nothing in comparison to him, that is not as big as what the seraphim were doing. I need you to get this. The seraphim, these are angelic beings, okay? And what you need to realize is that as angelic beings, their holiness is equal to the holiness of God. They are not equal to God, but their holiness is because they are already in a glorified state which is what you and I will be one day if we know Jesus there is going to be a day that we no longer battle with sin that we will be totally transformed and we will be in a glorified state glorying and honoring and giving praise and adoration to God these angels are already there when they in their holiness are looking at God and they are saying he is holy. The only way that I could get that, that, that I could get my head around this is to say that is like purity saying to someone or something pure, purer, purest. It is, it is someone that is pure. And, and looking at this, it would be like me if I was pure and I'm looking at Pastor Robert and I'm saying pure. In comparison to me, purer. In comparison to me, purest. What I'm communicating is there is a higher level of purity in his life. It would be like something white declaring that's white, whiter, whitest. I don't know if you get this. Hear me. When you look at, you know, you look at paint, right? You know, obviously we looked at a whole lot of paint for this building. You look at that door and the door is white. You look at this screen, right now it's not white, but see that little for good? That's white. The frame around that is white. But I guarantee you that I could bring another white in here that would be brighter than that. I could bring another white in here and there would obviously come, come a point when I would get to the brightest of whites and that is what would happen. But what was going on here is that these angels, they weren't just declaring something. Here's what makes it so powerful. It is not that they were saying that, you know, like when you go into a paint store and you read the color on the paint and it says, okay, you know, on the sample and it says this is eggshell white and this is bone white and then this is white and then this is just, you know, bright white. It's not me just reading what the label says. That's different. 
What they were doing is when they were looking at God and his majesty, they were literally seeing his brilliance being magnified. And so when they declared holy, it's like a whole nother level of, of, of radiance and beauty emanated him. And they cried out again, holy. And again, the eminence of his glory begins to radiate again. And they cry out holy to the degree that they are yelling so loud that the Bible says that the temple posts were shaken. I want you to realize these these angelic hosts were moved to make a noise that you and I ain't ever heard. Listen, I've never been in an earthquake. I felt the sonic booms. Hello, somebody. That's probably the closest that I've been to an earthquake. Some of you might have been in some earthquakes and things like that. But a sonic boom shakes the house, right? That's what it was like. But just imagine the echo that was taking place in the heavens, holy and just just shaking the temple. Isaiah is sitting in this moment and he's like, oh, my goodness, he, he is getting this revelation. And here's what I want you to get, because you may not have understood the pure or the white or anything like that. But I want you to understand this about God. God is pure in his character. He is holy. There is no unrighteousness in him. There is no ungodliness in him. God is pure in all of his motives. God doesn't do things because he is trying to, to, to do something else. He's not doing this to get this. He is simply doing it because of who he is. All of his motives are pure. And his actions, everything that he does is holy. He doesn't change. He is holy in all of his ways. See, Isaiah, up until this chapter, up until chapter 6, and there's different debates and different discussions on this. Some people believe that this was, this was actually when Isaiah got called, and for some reason, Isaiah decided that he was going to write chapters 1 through 5, and then he was going to put the calling when all these other prophets did it differently. The other prophets, what they did was they put their calling in the beginning where it was supposed to be, and then they began to prophesy. When I study the scripture and I'm looking at it, what I'm understanding is Isaiah is communicating for God for these first five chapters. He has two visions and he communicates. He's getting revelation from God, but it's different to get revelation from God. It's different to get information from God than getting revelation of God. It's different. You can sit in church all day long. You can listen to television, radio, and you can get information from God, things that are revelation about God, but it is totally different when God Almighty opens the heavens and says, I want to show you who I am. Totally different. And I want you to know something. Jesus came to this earth. The veil was torn so that way you and I could get a direct revelation, not about God, but of God. There is no reason why anybody in here can walk out and say, man, I just can't know God. You can know him. He wants you to know him. That is the reason that Jesus came and died so that way we could know him and we could experience him. Does it mean that every single person is going to see what Isaiah saw? I doubt it. There's tons of Christians that have come into this earth from the time that Jesus died up until present day who died and never saw the glorious revelation of God until they went into glory. But what every Christian, true Christian, is going to tell you is that they did encounter God and they did experience him. Isaiah knew conceptually God is holy. Every person in this place, we know conceptually God is holy. That's for sure. But not everybody in this place, in this place knows by experience God is holy. And you see, here becomes the issue. The issue is that there are too many of us who are making the declaration of how holy God is without ongoing revelation of his holiness. We're talking about, yeah, God is holy. 
And you know how we can prove this? Because you say God is holy, but your life is not becoming more holy. You're lacking revelation of who he is. Because when you get a revelation of the holiness of God, what you see Isaiah going through happens to us. Continue reading with me, please. Verse 2, it says, And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. The glory of the Lord was filling the house. And verse 5 says, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. And like I said in the other translation, I am ruined. In another translation, I am destroyed. Woe is me. When you say woe is me, you're saying, man, I'm cursed. This is how the revelation of God changed this man's life. Went from he's holy and I'm prophesying for him to now, man, I'm cursed, I'm going to die. That's what he was saying. Saying, I am about to die because I've seen the Lord. Repeat this after me. To be ruined for good, I need an inward examination by the Lord. So the first thing you need is an upward encounter. The second thing you need is an inward examination by the Lord. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord is who examines our heart, searches our heart. He's the one that reveals to us the secrets of our heart that no one else knows. He shows us what's really going on. The result of this unveiled revelation and encounter with God and His holiness is an awareness of how short we fall of His glory. When Isaiah comes before God's glory and his presence, you will see it is almost as if he is there before God and he is looking and he, he, he's, he's, he's amazed at what he's seeing. And as he's looking at the glorious throne of God, as he is looking at the powerful presence of God, at the same exact moment, he's beginning to understand in light of that glory, in light of that holiness, in light of who God is, he's beginning to realize, man, I am like butt naked here right now. And he sees every impurity that is in me and there's nothing that I can hide from him and even though I've prophesied and even though I've communicated there is still a lacking of holiness in comparison to that glory he was overwhelmed by that there was something that happened and when we truly get a revelation of who God is and we truly get a revelation of his glory and power something else happens we get a revelation of our own wretchedness we get a revelation of how ungodly we are. Even when we're, and, and listen, when I say this, I don't mean, you know, for, for someone who is, you know, not walking with Jesus and, you know, they know that, man, I do this wrong, I do that wrong. I'm talking about the Christian. It's like Pastor Robert said, there's two groups of people in here, right? There's the ones that know Jesus and the one that do not. There's no in-between. I know someone may feel like that, but you are not in-between. If you are in-between, you don't know him. Hallelujah. No, I'm almost there. You still don't know him. It's like you moving on the same block as someone and you never talk to them. You almost met, you don't know them. Now, you may want to know him, and today's a great day to get to know him, but I just want to assure you, you don't. But for the Christian, the one who is not over there on internet pornography, the one who's not over there committing fornication and adultery, the one who's not out there cursing and acting a fool, the one who's not out there doing all kind of craziness, the one who's not clubbing. I'm talking about you. When you have a revelation of the holiness of God, you begin to understand how impure you are even though you walk in purity. And that is life-changing. 
So you can always tell when people are really seeking and finding God. Because you know what automatically happens? Their demeanor changes. They all puffed up. They're not puffed up no more. It doesn't mean they walk around with their head down or woe is me. I'm not talking about that. That's not, that's not what I'm saying because Christians shouldn't be walking around like that anyway. Because you'll see that it changes him in another way as well. But we get a revelation and we understand, man, that I am nothing apart from him. An inward look of our sinfulness, hear me now, without an upward encounter of God's fullness, the revelation of Jesus, it will result in either short-lived humility or long-term hopelessness. So here's what happens. If I sit here and I point out to you how wretched and horrible you are, which I can do, I can sit and I can point out every single thing that you do wrong. I can call out every single sin, every single shortcoming. We can do that and go all day and you will leave here depressed. But here's the thing. You either leave here depressed or you leave here because you don't care and you just be like, whatever, man, that guy's crazy. I'm happy he's done. Which is sad for you. But hear me now. When you hear that, all of this wretchedness, and you get this understanding, man, I am so impure, I am so unrighteous, I am so ungodly, and you don't get an upward revelation of God, you might walk in humility for a little bit, and then after a while, it's going to wear off. All right, so I'm like that. That's just how it is. Or there's the other one. It really bothers you, and you walk around for the rest of your life hopeless. Because what are you going to do with that? Every time you sin, you're going to beat yourself up? Every time you sin, you're going to try to chastise yourself, and that way you stop sinning. Listen, you cannot, sin, you cannot stop sinning apart from the grace of God. Let me encourage someone in here, because, you know, sometimes you're like, you know, I'll come to God when I'm right. Listen to me. You cannot come to God when you're right. Hello? You come to God, and he makes you right. You just got to come to him. But let, 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 let me make it plain, though. Don't, don't come to him and be like, well, I'm just going to be how I'm going to be. Listen, someone's got to change. And it ain't Jesus. Understand that. So you come to him with the understanding, yo, I, I, got, I got to change, but I can't do it myself. That is when you come to the understanding that I can't do it for myself. Isaiah came to that place. The full knowledge of the truth, Jesus Christ, that's the full knowledge of the truth, who is on the throne, is that while we are wretched, while we are wicked, while we are sinful, while we are totally depraved by nature, God's holiness not only amplifies these negative attributes, but it also communicates that his holiness is the only solution for my sin. Because when I look at how holy he is, I look at how righteous he is, I look at all the things that God doesn't do, and when, when I see all of that, I realize that if I don't have that holiness, I'm never going to be good enough, and that is why Jesus came. Because none of us will ever be good enough. Oh, glory to God. None of us will ever be righteous enough. None of us will ever stop sinning enough to please him. But he gets this inward revelation. He got this upward encounter with God, this inward examination and and inspection. And he began to recognize, I am sinful. I am unholy. Keep reading with me. He goes on to say in verse 6, we're just going to look at verse 6. I'm going to read the rest of verse 5 in a moment. But in verse 6, he says, then one of the seraphim flew to him. 
having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Isaiah says what? He says, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Why does he say that? Jesus tells us why he says it later on. Because in in the gospel, Jesus says that it is not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him unclean. It is what comes out of a man's mouth. And the reason why those things come out of your mouth, and he's not just talking about you speaking. He's talking about your overall living because we all know that actions speak louder than words. And so while you may not be saying anything, you're saying a whole bunch. And so Jesus is communicating and he's saying, listen, the heart, he he shows us the heart is the source of the unclean lips. And so over here, Isaiah is simply recognizing, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of bad action. And the Bible says what? God comes through this seraphim, picks up this hot coal from the altar, the altar symbolizing the place of purification where the fire of God is. And he comes over and he touches his lips with the coal. And he said, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is dealt with. Your sin is dealt with. In other words, you're not guilty any longer. That's what God wants us to get. When we, when we look at ourselves and we begin to see how wretched we are, we need to understand Jesus died for those sins. We need to understand Jesus paid the price for those sins. And he wants to touch not just your lips, he wants to touch your heart and make you holy. He wants to touch your heart and he wants to make you pure. That is what God Almighty wants to do for us. The third thing, and say this with me, to be ruined for good... I need an outward burden from the Lord. He goes on in verse 5. We'll read the rest of it here. He says, Woe is me, for I am a man, uh, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, because for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So he goes on, he sees that he is wretched, he is unrighteous, and then he, he does something that's funny. It's like when he saw God, it leveled the playing field. When he saw God, he said, man, I'm I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm among a people of unclean lips. He didn't go and get a big head and say, man, these people are really unholy. What happened was he got a revelation of himself, and then he saw them, and he said, I'm I'm among a people of unclean lips. The scripture goes on to say in verse 6, he says, then um, verse 7, I'm sorry, he said, and he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, your sin is purged. There's a reason also why he touches his lips, and it's because of the next thing that's going to happen. He says in verse 8, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. He gets a revelation of God. He gets the revelation of himself. And then he also gets a revelation of the world around him. Another clear sign, man, that you're going to the next level is that other people matter. Let me say it again. A clear sign that you're going to the next level is that other people matter. It's not me word. It's about them. Oh, I want God, and I want to experience him, and I want to know him. Nothing wrong with that. But what there is an issue when all you want is to experience God and to know him, but you don't want to share him with anyone. 
When Isaiah gets his revelation, he begins to see that there is a world that needs to hear this message. There is a world that needs to hear that God is holy. There is a world that needs to hear of the majesty of God. There is a world that needs this message. And he goes, here's God say, who are we going to send? God is not asking this question because he's confused or he's doubting. He's asking this question the same way he asked Adam, where are you? He didn't, he didn't need to know where Adam was like God didn't know. God knew where Adam was. Was, he was trying to help Adam understand where he was. The same thing here. God knew who he was going to send. He needed Isaiah to get it in his head. I'm going to send you. The reason I touched your lips is not just to purify your heart, but to purify you as a vessel so that way you can now go and preach this word to the rest of this nation. He gets his revelation of these people. The upward encounter and the inward examination should culminate in an equalization of guilt. What do I mean by that? What happens is you begin to understand you are just as guilty as the person who sinned against you. I know you don't like that. Because I didn't do anything to deserve that. I didn't do anything to deserve what they did to me. I didn't do anything to deserve how they treated me. I didn't do anything to deserve that. Wait a second. You are just as much a sinner as that person is. You begin to understand that all of those people that you look at, you're like, man, those people are horrible. They definitely need Jesus. That you are just as horrible, and you definitely need Jesus too. When you have that examination of heart, that's what happens. Equalization of guilt with others before the throne of holiness. And what happens is you begin to become burdened and understand that they need salvation and they need grace daily, just like you do. And what do you want to do? You want to share that with them. You want to be that vessel that shares the truth of God. To know the need for evangelism without a burden from the Lord will result in one of two things. Either condemnation for a lack of effort or self-righteousness due to your excellence and effort. See, when we understand, when we understand that we need to evangelize. How many of y'all know you need to go share the gospel with someone? Raise your hand. Come on if you know it. Right? If you know you need to share the gospel with someone. Right? Put your hand down. Now, I won't, I won't ask you to raise your hand because some of you would lie. It's not good to lie in the house of the Lord. But if I were to ask you, how many of you share the gospel at least once a week? Some people, no, you don't, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't, don't, raise, don't raise the glory to God. Some of you would feel horrible because you'd be like, man, I don't share the gospel in a week. There's something wrong with me. So what happens, right? One or two things happen. You feel condemned because I don't share the gospel enough. Or you feel self-righteous because you share the gospel with everyone. Glory to God. You are out there and, and you just, man, I got, I got to meet my quota. Hello? Listen, ain't nothing wrong with a quota. Just make sure the motive of your quota is the right one. Because when your motive is right, the quota is going to be different. Your motive is right. It's a burden that is in your heart. And, and, and your quota is this. Until this burden is met, I don't stop preaching the gospel. Oh, my God. It's different. See, I can say that I'm gonna, I'm, I have to share the gospel with someone every day in order to be a good Christian. I could say that. But what about if I need to share the gospel with five people in that day to be an obedient Christian? Different. It's different. What about if God has you locked up in prayer on a day? And he says, I just want you on your face. What happens? You didn't meet your quota for the day? What are you going to do? Listen, it's important for us to understand. We need the burden that comes from God Almighty to reach souls. 
We need to have a heart that is broken over souls. And the quota is that until the burden lifts, I won't stop preaching. And you know what that will mean for a Christian? That means that until the day I die, until my last breath, I will be sharing the gospel as often as possible. Amen, somebody. And so it is important for us to have a burden that comes from the Lord, not just knowledge. The reason why I say that is because God must be the source of our burden, and he must be our motive to reach the lost. It cannot be numeric growth. Numeric growth cannot be the reason why you are evangelizing, why you are sharing. That cannot be the sole reason why you are communicating. It cannot be for statistical satisfaction because you need to share the gospel because of statistics that you have heard. And it also cannot be simply program compliance. Oh my goodness. We do programs here, right? We do the way of the master. We've done becoming a contagious Christian, two different evangelism programs. But here's the thing. It's not about complying with a program. It's about doing it because God has burdened your heart. So what does that mean if you don't have a burden? That means you need to cry out desperately for one. That means you don't, you don't just walk around just, you know, arbitrarily like, okay, well, whenever I get a burden, I'll start evangelizing. That is not what I'm saying. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you need to come before God humbly and broken and don't let go of God the same way that Abraham, I mean, the, the, the same way that Jacob would not let go of God when he was wrestling with him until he blessed him. The blessing that you want is not a broken hip. It's a burdened heart that you will go on ahead and hear the heart of God when you're looking at those who don't know him. That is what we have to do. Come to God and say, God, there are people who are dying. There are people who are going to hell. There are people who will be saved separated from you for eternity and I am a person who has this life-changing message in my mouth I am a person who has had this encounter with you I'm a person who claims to know you therefore I have the answers to life for them I have what they need because the most important answer is one and that is what have you done with Jesus that's it Jesus died for you what are you doing with him you live in your life how you want to live. That's what we do when we share the gospel. We don't go to good. We're not trying to condemn someone. We're trying to let them know Jesus wants to save you. Amen. If the gospel is not the motive, then we have missed the mark. I close with this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Please turn there. Because I think the biggest question is going to be how is it? How is it? That I get a revelation like Isaiah. Is it possible? Can't make God show you anything, can you? No. Galatians chapter 6. This is how you get the revelation that you need. And you got to say amen. In verse 14, the apostle Paul is speaking. And he says this, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. When Isaiah looked up into heaven and he saw this glorious throne room, he saw a picture of God's glory that was amazing and transformed his life. And for us today, 
We don't have to try to be like, God, I need you to show me this great picture of a throne room. You need the revelation of the cross. You need the revelation of what Jesus did. The greatest, greatest picture of God's glory, of God's goodness, of God's mercy, of God's wrath, all combined of God's love. Everything all together is a revelation of the cross. Paul said, man, I'm not boasting in anything. There's nothing more important to me than remembering and honoring what Jesus did on the cross. And so I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and bow your heads, please. As we said in the beginning, there's two, there are two people in here. The ones that know Jesus and the ones that do not. So if you're in here today and you know him, then you should definitely be praying for those who don't. And if you're in here today and you don't know him, today's the day. Today's a day that you can humble your heart before him and say, God, I need a revelation of you. I need to be transformed by you.